0: Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good afternoon from the Crop Doctors Podcast studio in Stoneville. A little different setup today. I'm actually in here by myself. Tom is here, kinda. Tom's in Startville. Tom, what's up?
1: Not much. How are you today?
0: I'm good, man. So Brian is in there with Tom. So they are in the studio in Bost on the campus of Mississippi State. And then I'm here in Stoneville so we're trying to kind of I guess playing around with a a new deal and so rather than talking to Brian on the phone Tom was in Stone or Startville today excuse me so we're linking up via zoom and we'll see how this works hopefully or we'll get a a little bit better sound quality than we do talking over the phone Tom what you in Starville today for I don't even remember
1: I had to come over and finish a series of lectures for our virologist who teaches a course on diseases of crops. Oh, and rather than having himself wade through corn, soybean, wheat, and cotton, he annually asks me to come over and and give those lectures. Which you know, it's like seven lectures to the students in that class. It, it's lots of fun, you know. It, it's the challenge. That does
0: not sound fun at all, dude. You lost me at virology. Actually, you lost me at lecture.
1: Well, I don't cover the virus part. Sayo covers the viruses. I'm not well-versed enough in those to really talk about those. So he does that section, and I do the fungal and bacterial diseases.
0: Oh, look, hey, I can see y'all again now.
1: (laughs) I can't see what's going on. You're kind of like a little kid over there. I don't know that I can leave you alone anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: that's that's definitely a, a learning curve here. Brian, what's been going on with you? How's the family doing?
2: Oh, they're doing good. Uh, you know, we've had two bouts of what? No, three bouts of the flu. You know, right in the peak of turkey season, which has kind of been a little frustrating. Oh, you boys uh, hated that then. Oh yeah. So you know, Mama got it. You know, two of the three. So, but you know, we're we're on the mend. We're getting there. Spending hours at the computer screen, getting lined out. So this is a nice change of pace.
0: How many weeks? Glad of, to be here. How many weeks of school they got left?
2: Uh, five. Well, if you count this week, so four and a half. They're ready.
0: Oh, fifty. <laughs> <They're ready. laughs>
2: <they're> and then, <laughs> and then they're all three playing baseball, and uh, the oldest one has spring football practice. So, I mean, it's just one thing after another.
0: Nonstop.
2: Yeah, just rolling.
0: So, Brian, we're going to talk about cotton today but brian before we go all those years you spent on the farm what was the best farm gadget you ever had
2: oh god here's another question
0: well you knew it was coming
2: i know i was trying to get my walkout uh, song (laughs) in order but
0: (laughs) that's still my all-time favorite podcast question was brian dropping rage against the machine when i asked him what his baseball walkout song would be
2: yeah, I, I honestly didn't have it this year, so uh, but I had it had back up just in case. <laughs> but uh, I still might throw that out there. The best on-farm gadget. You know, this is kind of going back to old school, but, you know, I, to me, the most important thing I thought in my truck was to keep like a, a really neat weed getter, some kind of a hoe with like a hook or something that you're like, oh, this is going to work. You know, just when you're riding around, you see something, you want to snap it out of the field. Yeah. You know, just like something that was unique to your, ergonomic to your hand-eye needs.
0: So the reason I even thought about that, last night I some kind of way stumbled across this video of pole climbing shoes. And there's a lineman, so he had a lineman's belt, but then he had these uh-huh. weird like, I guess they strapped on your boots like, crampons would like ice climbing Mm -hmm. crampons and the dude just walked up a
1: pole so that's what got me thinking about gadgets
2: yeah i didn't have any of those
1: (laughs) uh i hadn't seen anybody do that in years they used to do that up north and then they you know now everybody drives around their own cherry picker so they don't have to climb up the poles yeah all right brian so obviously we're we're on the cusp of cotton planting here being is that the date is approaching late in April. What what kind of calls are you fielding right now as related to cotton planting for 2022?
2: A lot of them have been about uh, varieties, variety selection. Some guys have had some, you know, some of their orders have been tweaked a little bit and they're trying to get a variety to to fill a gap, maybe that something didn't work out. Or some guys have swapped cotton for corn, some of their corn acres they couldn't get in. So getting some, a little bit of variety selection calls. Some nematode management-type calls, you know, where they're having really high populations. And then population, talking about plant populations with different row configurations. Then, obviously, uh, nitrogen.
0: What about row configurations? What variety of row configurations are you talking about?
2: Just say that uh, you, you had somebody that was doing skip row, okay, and, and they were saying, this X-mini uh, population on the row is this to the land acre. Should I keep it this high or should I back down? Which, you know, depends on. If you get a break in late April and it's still this kind of cool potential for cool weather and wet, I'm going to stay stick on the high side a little bit.
0: I got you. I didn't know if somebody was coming up with something, you know, new and kind of off the wall, ultra narrow road type idea.
2: I still get some of your type calls about just some pre's, you know, maybe they had some breakthroughs. What can I apply, you know, if I'm two weeks out, you know, I have – typical tall ryegrass breakthroughs and things like that.
1: Lots of ryegrass. What are you suggesting for planted population or seed planting population at planting? So with seed, Brian, because I know there's there's been a push in a lot of outlets that we go to meeting wise talking about reducing seeding numbers. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, our go-to has always been 40,000 seeds to the land acre and Will Rutland's doing some research now with the wide row versus solid and then we have four different planting populations so we've kind of talked about that all winter so it it raises a question about reducing rates but I don't want people to get hung up on the reducing rates because that's you know if you start out in a replant situation don't, you've not done yourself a favor by reducing rates. What we're really showing is, you know, if you take into account germination, poor planting conditions, and you end up with a you know reduced stand, some of these low rates can still compensate and make a crop. So I think forty thousand is a good number. You might could even back down a little bit off that in optimal planting conditions a little later in the season. But uh, by and large, 42,000, 40,000, that's where most of you guys are planting. You might have some 38,
0: 38.5. Brian, we talked to Trent last week. Tom, I don't remember what day of the week that was. I believe that was Thursday. So it's Wednesday now, and we haven't done any work since then. I mean, it rained. I guess it rained Wednesday. It rained all weekend over here, and depending on where you were, you got a lot of rain Or a lot, lot of rain. And so we're not doing anything. It didn't dry up any Monday. It was cloudy and, I guess, cold Monday. Dried up good yesterday, and then today has pretty much been cloudy all day. I think the sun's trying to pop out now. I feel like the rain has at least gone north of us at Stoneville, but I know the North Delta's probably getting some. Guys I talked to this morning felt like they were going to get some out of that mm-hmm. rain that's moving across Arkansas. So what's your feeling on acres at this point in the planting season?
2: First of all, I don't I don't know of any acres that have been planted. Most of the farmers that I've talked to, and this, since I've been in this role, this is the first year I've seen, most of the guys saying they were gonna increase their acres some, you know, with the price going up like it is, and then if there was any corn acres unplanted, I, you know, there's a potential we could pick some up there. If it unless it does like last year and rains till June then we would lose those acres again to soybean but the last projection I saw I thought was a little low, but it was like five twenty five five thirty and and that could be right because we were at four fifty last year, but our intentions were five twenty five My gut feeling is I think we should be in the ballpark of five fifty if everything is planted,
0: so that would be up quite a good percentage then
2: yeah. I've seen eleven percent increase projected, you know, from the Economist here, but we'll see. I mean, I make contact with quite a few, and then a lot of uh, sales reps. I mean, they're acres. I mean, they're all thinking the acres are up. I don't think it's going to be like it was in what twenty seventeen or eighteen in the six to six fifty range. I, I don't foresee that, but we'll, we'll see an increase.
1: How many folks have called you shifting? And trying to scramble to come up with cotton varieties that moved from corn. Have you gotten any of those specific telephone no, calls?
2: No, I have not. Uh, like I said, most of the calls about varieties have been a variety that they had, you know, booked and or were counting on. I don't want to say the supply chain issue again. Or things involved with what would keep you from getting seed. They, they're having to shift and uh, make last minute adjustments. Let's say maybe 25% of their acres or not like massive right. variety changes, but they're like, look, I wasn't able to get this many seed. I, w- what do you recommend? They might have all late season varieties. They want something earlier or vice versa. And then, you know, that comes into finding a variety that plants well in that region, they can get their hands on. If they're willing to budge on their, you know, they might want to keep about all within the same company and or technology.
1: Well, and then with that, I know you you indicated nematodes and that definitely is one I don't get a tremendous call load this time of the year, but the number one call I've gotten from cotton farmers has been, I'm hearing about product X or product Y. What are your thoughts on that? And my comment has tended to be, I don't know anything about product X or product Y. And most of my counterparts in other states have not tested those either. The nematode issue is certainly continues to get to be a, a, a much larger problem because we've compounded that issue over time through poor rotational strategies, or we just know that we have a nematode problem in that particular field. What kind of calls are you fielding related to that, and and what's your words of wisdom to cotton farmers right now?
2: I've gotten a handful of calls about nematodes, and most of those calls are similar to you described. It'll start with, what do you know about product X? Is this something I should use? Or, you know, do you have any other options? And most of the time, you know, I don't have any, I hadn't done any work with that. I don't have any data to support it. And it might be very little out there. And uh, and it's usually once you get to the bottom of it, we know that nematodes, treating for nematodes or you have a small window, you do it or you don't. And, uh, you know, it's, it's costly, no matter how you look at it. So You know, it's just like any other farmers trying to find a way to reduce their inputs. Input costs across the board are high. So, you know, in an attempt to maximize yield and reduce cost, I think they're just exploring different options.
1: Yeah, and I think your best options, and we've done numerous years of research, and I'd have to sit here and really struggle to think, but it's probably been on the order of between five and six-plus years of nematode research, mostly focused on reniform nematode and cotton. And we've looked at seed-applied nematicides, seed-applied nematicides compared to things like vellum, compared to aldicarb. And my take-home message is there are no cheap treatments to get out of a nematode issue. And once the furrow's closed, that's it. So you need to make a decision up front in either choosing a variety And your variety portfolios, depending upon your nematode component, are limited. And you need to know which nematode you're talking about. So root knot or reniform. And we don't have a lot of the lance acres. Most of our acres are dominated with root knot or reniform. So choosing a variety then really locks you into, more often than not, one seed company versus another, depending upon what nematode component you have. And then AgLogic's AldoCarb, sometimes is price prohibitive. Not real easy to get a hold of, and lots of farmers that I've had conversations with aren't necessarily set up to do a vellum application. Mm-hmm. But it is an effective strategy, and it's a good product. But again, it's pretty price prohibitive. You're talking about somewhere between twenty four and thirty two dollars an acre.
2: Back to your point about you know what I would recommend is similar to what you said. We've done work with Aldicarb and as well as vellum and I'm talking reniform with uh, tolerant varieties. so and we, we over the past two years have have data that supports all three of those methods working you know as you say it's going to be 21 to 32 dollars an acre so I mean it's expensive the variety selection that's a very good alternative but if it it's, that becomes a matter if it fits within your agronomic program you don't want to mix technologies unless you really know what you're doing
0: Tom, related to nematodes, I know another early season issue is always diseases. Talk about some of the early season disease issues that
1: you can face in cotton. And I would say in in the years that I've done seed applied fungicide work and looked at the seedling disease issues in cotton, our, our biggest concern is really rhizoctonia. And that um, is part of the reason why we tend to plant in that really specific window, and make sure that our soil temperatures are are right, and we don't jump the gun because any major drop in temperature with moisture and in, in the form of rain, you can really end up with a train wreck scenario for Rhizoctonia. There are seed-applied products that do a really good job of managing those Rhizoctonia-associated seedling disease concerns. Uh, most of them are either QOI strobilurn-based or something like penflufin. We've even had over the years questions about azoxystrobin in-furrow. And that's another effective alternative management strategy, again, if your planter set up to make an in application. Uh, and that just, you know, lots of questions over the years about black root rot. We don't have a tremendous amount of black root rot in Mississippi. In the 15 years I've been here, I think I've seen one plant with black root rot. And we screen for black root rot um, seed treatments every year because we do the big regional seed applied fungicide program that's run out of Heather Kelly's program out of the University of Tennessee, and they screen seedlings that come out of our fields for black root rot, and we never come up with black root rot. So really most of my concerns are really focused on rhizoctonia, and that's not the, the pythium question can sometimes be a lot more confusing. Um, rhizoctonia can be a much more widespread issue in a field situation, um, and that goes back to you know seed-applied fungicide, which products you're putting on there.
0: So which products are optimum for that? Do our
1: standard cotton seed treatments cover that? Most of our standard cotton seed treatments cover that. Uh, There are very few instances where somebody's sending me what's on their seed bag label that Really would indicate that they don't have a product on there. I think we do a really good job of stacking seed-applied fungicides on cotton seed to really prevent losses of stand associated with those early season disease issues. And Rizoc is the one that most states have an issue with Rizoc, so it's not just indicative to Mississippi.
2: Jason, a lot of the calls I've been getting have had to do with pre-emergent herbicides and with trying to come up with alternate modes of actions, or you know, maybe doing multiple. To see if that's a good idea. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that.
0: Well, the first big thing that happened for weed control for cotton in, in 2022 was we didn't lose the post-emergence label for Ingenia and Extendimax on Extend on cotton. So that was a win for weed control for 2022. Remains to be seen what will happen with that going forward for pre's. With cotton, you know, we just have a handful. Most of them have been around forever, and people love them or hate them. They may love one and hate another, and a different guy may flip-flop on that. So some of them have a pretty long and colorful history uh, with crop response, thinking about Direx, Cotteran, those type products. Mm-hmm. The you know newer one, which is not really new, but it's new to cotton or newer to cotton compared with those others is break and i think it's gotten a lot of attention over the past couple years and i think it's a good product we're doing some stuff with it this year i think at the the rate that we use oftentimes it's probably a a little bit better more broad spectrum treatment if we add something to it so maybe pint and half of caparol We'll broaden out that control a little bit with brake. We're usually running about 20 ounces, 20, 22 ounces. There's a pretty broad range, Mm -hmm. uh, but that seems to be where our guys have kind of settled in for the rate.
2: Yeah, I've definitely had uh, more talk of mixing, you know, uh, brake with Caparol or Cotteran and Caparol, definitely some diuron. I've had a few calls about Reflex. You kind of need to know what you're doing with that. If, if it's pre
0: you do so Reflex for those that may not be familiar with its use in cotton as a really is a pre-plant for us but I think the label still says it's either 7 to 10 days or 10 to 14 days or a half inch of rainfall and so that basically makes it a pre-plant you can use it pre on coarse textured soils and we definitely have fields where that would be a safe treatment. We don't have a tremendous amount of acres that fit that bill. And a lot of times we have a field that the top side of the field, the texture is correct for that application. But then as you get to the bottom of the field, the texture gets heavier, the CEC goes up, and the injury potential goes up real high. So we just never have really settled in with using that treatment. And the other thing with a pre-plant, we tend to – drag beds off before we plant, and with it being a pre-plant, once you pull the do-all, you know, you've knocked all the herbicide off in the middle, so I've just never been able to get it to fit in the way that we like to grow cotton in the Mid-South, or or at least in the Delta part of the Mid-South, not referring to Tennessee, because I think they're different enough in places up there that might fit a little bit better, so Reflex, really, really good. Palmer Amaranth treatment, it's arguably better than any of the other ones, but I've just never been able to get it to fit in the system. So then we're back to Cotaran, if you're a Cotaran guy, Dioran, if you're a diuron guy. I've settled in pretty good on Caparol for a variety of reasons. One, it's safe or safer than some of the other ones. And then two... We don't ask a cotton residual to do the heavy lifting that we ask some of those big treatments in soybeans. We're not putting a premium three-way pre-mixed product on the ground behind the planter and expecting it to last for multiple weeks. We're really only asking that cotton pre to get us to that first over-the-top application. The weather's right and the cotton grows off well. It's going to occur within a couple weeks, so we're not asking it— to provide the length of residual that we do in soybeans or then those big pre-mixed products that we use in corn.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I know that um, a lot of guys, I talk with Tyson in Tennessee, they're big fans of uh, Cotterane and Caparol. And we've done some work with that here and had some some of our OVTs. You know, we spray break in some of our really problematic areas. We might not get around to it for a while or break mixed with Caparol. I I like Caparol myself. I'm with you on the. I mean, it's just a little safer, see a little less injury. We use a lot of Cotteran. You know, we stay away from the reflex, too, mainly because it's an extra trip and it just doesn't fit in the system. I I wish it did to give us another mode of action to use.
0: And there's others that guys that like to use them, have a history of using them, may utilize on smaller acres. Dual is a label treatment. We don't tend to use much if any dual as a pre in cotton in Mississippi prowls out there we use some prowl in places but in my experience not in any great volume treflan of course is still there I've had a couple conversations about treflan this week not necessarily for cotton just treflan in general and my idea about it is we just don't have the implements around to incorporate treflan well the way we used to apply treflan when it was a primary treatment we just don't hardly farm like that anymore and so a lot of those implements are not there if you think about treflan on flat ground it's something as simple as the discs that we use now we don't have an incorporating disc as a rule in the mississippi delta we have big wide breaking discs so the pans are bigger, the pans are further apart. In my opinion, we just turn too much dirt to incorporate it properly with that implement. And then you think about incorporating with Hippers, and you just bury so much of that product in the row. I just don't have a, a real good comfort level with it. Point being, there's other products out there that some people choose to use, and it's mainly because they have a, a history with it and are satisfied with the performance
1: that they've gotten out of them. Brian, thanks, man. It's good to see you. Hey, shouldn't you
0: you thank me, since I'm the one that's kind of remote? Because there's two of y'all and only one of me.
1: And Jason, (laughs) since you're by yourself in the podcast studio, thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us. It's lonely over here. I understand. This was just a situation we could fit it into, but we really appreciate the regular listeners. Keep up the comments, good, bad, indifferent. Call us if you need us. I mean, I I know this season seems to be stacking up, at least right now, and the early parts of it to kind of be a little bit of a headache. We're here to help. Don't be shy. I
2: appreciate it, guys.
1: Thanks, Brian.
0: The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.